Before you start this episode, a quick advisory. Today's episode does cover sexual assault and child abuse that some may find offensive. We understand if this may be a lot, and we will see you next episode. Listener discretion is advised. He believes the key to understanding him lies in his childhood when his grandfather died at sea. Making myself look dead. It was nothing to do with death itself. It was making myself look as different from me as it was possible to imagine so that I could really be convincing. Welcome listeners and newcomers. You're all in for a treat today. I'm Kendall and this is When the Light Goes Out. Good day, everybody. I hope you're having a great, wonderful week this week. I know I fought through the week to get to the weekend, but I'm feeling good. I know you've probably noticed um, we did not post any content last week. Um, One of my friends actually asked me, y'all good? Yeah, yeah, we're good. We're good. Um, I really personally just needed a mental health week last week, um, and I'm sure all of us can understand with each other on that one. I think a break now and then just really makes that much of a difference and just, you know, makes you a better you. I took away, I took a lot more time, I'm sorry, to research our um, interesting topic today. And I also took my fat ass back to the gym. I mean, who would know that, right? (laughs) And I encourage you all, of course, to honestly take a break now and then, really. It's, it's, it's a lot. It's a, it's a hard world. It's, it's. The world is consistently moving and you just always need to wonder, hey, when I can when can I take my break? When can I just sit down and just anywho, you're also probably wondering where the hell Brie is. <laughs> she uh, she's she's OK. Don't worry. Um, today we were supposed to record together, but she had took a sprain to the leg she's fine but uh the day was kind of taken away from her being at the clinic and i really just didn't want her doing anything i just want her to chill relax do whatever she needed to do um and i was just like hey i'll just do the episode myself today i'll make it pretty special for you guys um and yeah this is my first time hosting so it's kind of weird it's kind of kind of cool but kind of weird kind of weird but she'll be back i promise um and also before we dive into our case today please 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 remember to follow us weekly leave a review wherever you're listening and follow us on instagram at wtlgo podcast we always post a carousel of topics oh sorry more like a carousel what is that thing that you call it? It's called a carousel, right? Yeah, I think so. I'm talking to myself now. <laughs> it, it is a carousel. It's like one of those, you probably know what I'm talking about. But anyways, we post um, our topics on Instagram 24-7. So if you ever want a nice reference to them, you want to just look back and you're like, huh, okay, that makes sense to what's going on with the case. That's where you go for us. Um, and you can also always email us at... Um, WTLGO inquiries at gmail.com. If you guys have any listener tells, we haven't really talked a ton about that lately, but I think that's more so because I mean, we haven't really got a ton. And if you, even if you think, hey, maybe it's a good idea, you never know. Just 
send it in we'll read it and we'll see it hey is it worthy or not no i'm just kidding we'll probably love it well on that note i won't waste too much time um i know i could banter with myself forever um but we're not gonna do that we're gonna just dive into this case this case that we're going to cover today it's a pretty gruesome one so i know that i put a sensory um at the beginning of this but Still, I, I'm probably going to give a little warning beforehand, or I'm going to try to at least, um, when things get gruesome, but I, I feel like this case in general is laid out to be a pre- pretty gruesome case. Um, so just know that the next two episodes will be related to this case, and if um, that doesn't really work for you, of course, as always, we understand. Uh, we never want to... Um, really violate anyone's ears too much but I really also feel like a lot of the things that we put into these episodes are very um, important and it it really makes you come to realize that hey these things in the world do happen Um, they happen around us all the time way more than we realize it and it's just really nice to know that um, as the as the podcaster feeding this history and this information to listeners um, you are all being able to understand too with me that, hey, you know, this world is a beautiful world, but it comes with a lot of problems. And I think we already know that, but going into the cracks and crevices of it. Um, but without further ado, let's get into our story today. All right. So our story today um, is a story that takes place in England. So I, I thought it would be kind of cool to go to England today i uh i honestly feel like we don't cover enough or we don't cover a ton of stories outside of the u.s and i'm like i really want to do a lot more in europe um we're gonna do a ton more just in other places but europe specifically i've always had a huge passion for europe uh europe europe and i've always wanted to really um just be living there i don't honestly i I, if you guys know me you know that i have always loved the french language i learned french in college and i studied there and i've always been someone that's obsessed with just the european culture so i just always I, i thought it was time let's dive into a case that takes place in england so there's that i know i knew nothing about this case first of all um this case stuck out to me just because it kind of related to one that we all know and it's all by the title of this uh episode which is uh dennis nilson the british jeffrey dahmer so uh you'll all understand why that is so much tied to they're so tied to each other first of all but you'll also see a lot of um not only parallels but also a lot of just um the deeper madness in this case does take place before Jeffrey Dahmer. I'll say that before we even start. Um, but you'll see why. And by the end of this, you'll see why they tie them in together. So here is episode 26. On February 4th, 1983, one late evening around midnight, a tenant living at the Cranley Garden Flats in Muswell Hill, North London, calls for a drain specialist at Dino Rod to come investigate a drain blockage at their complex. Six other curious tenants had joined to see what the bloody hell was going on with their drains and why it was getting clogged because this was a problem that all the tenants were actually having. 
One tenant among the rest came out to see what was going on, and this was Dennis Nielsen, a 37-year-old, 6'1", kind of basic-looking dude with a classic, with the 80s kind of frames and the black hair. Very, very 80s look, I'll say. Mike Cateron, which is the Dino Rod employee that came out, informed the tenants that their complaints about the drains being clogged is being looked at, so just sit tight and he'd be getting to it and getting the situation dealt with. So the specialist, Mike, grabs his equipment and a flashlight and descends into the manhole. Instantly, Mike began to smell an order, an odor, an order. Instantly, Mike began to smell an odor so unbearable he started to gag. After shining the light in the direction of the terrible order, odor, <laughs> Mike was faced with this most horrifying sight for human eyes to ever see. Like straight off a horror movie, I could say it personally myself. He found chunks of mangled, rotting flesh and bone. Now, police and investigators were immediately called. Mike had initially thought that this was an animal. Spoiler, it wasn't an animal. (laughs) So Mike tells tenants he and his supervisor will return in the morning to try to get this mess cleaned up. The next morning, the Dino Rod employees come back to clean the backed up flesh when Mike notices what was there the previous night looked to have been already cleaned though they still noticed that small bone fragments and flesh were still caught throughout the drain leading up to the top floor apartment, belonging to tenant Dennis Nelson. So the police call the police to investigate the problem, and not long after the police arrive, and tenants are all questioning what the hell's going on. You see police everywhere, I would too, I get it. When they had walked up, police had been told that there were these bone fragments they have found and it led up to that specific flat. I like to call it flat instead of apartment. We're talking about England here. <laughs> um, but so they had um, been led to Dennis's flat and um, they noticed that he wasn't there. But another tenant said that he'd be back from work later that afternoon, so they waited and waited. Early that morning, while Dennis was at his desk at work, while the police were investigating what was going on here at his uh, flat, a colleague would later state that Dennis had been acting weird and jokingly turned towards them and said, quote, If I'm not in tomorrow, I'll be ill, dead, or I'll be in jail. Unquote. So later that evening, Dennis had returned home from work, and he's met with Detective Chief Inspector Jay and Inspector and Inspector Jesus Muxter, and another officer, waiting to ask Dennis a couple questions about you know the weird remains that were found in the manhole that connected to his flat. As soon as Dennis opened up the door, the inspectors were rudely bombarded by the putrefying smell of decomp. Well. When Inspector Jay asked what that smell was, Dennis calmly answered, quote, What you're looking for is stored in the bags around this apartment. Unquote. But Custer says, quote, Stop messing about. Where is the rest of the body? Unquote. And Dennis walks over to the bedroom and points to a wardrobe. When the inspector walks over to open the wardrobe in it are two massive black trash bags. 
Dennis is then handcuffed and brought in under suspicion of murder, which (laughs) I would definitely arrest them too. And on the way to the police station, Inspector McCuster asks, are we talking about one body or two here? And Dennis immediately replies, quote, 15 or 16. So I know that's crazy. And you're probably wondering who in the world is Dennis Nielsen? I personally am not sure if a lot of our listeners, I know we have a lot of listeners over in Europe. Um, I know, I'm personally not sure. I know we have, um, I know we have a handful of listeners over in England. I'm not sure if um, any of you listeners are, are over there know a ton about him or not. I, I know that he is um, infamously known to be, again, like uh, the British Jeffrey Dahmer and things like, th- like this. Um, he is infamously known as the British Jeffrey Dahmer, and he's also known as the Muswell Hill Murderer. So that actually kind of goes hand in hand with today's episode, because today is going to be called that. And then um, you're going to notice in part two, it's going to be called the Mooseville Hill Murders. So um, I just felt that those two kind of go hand in hand with each other with how the story goes again. Um, And he had been known to have killed at least 15, I am not kidding you, 15 young men and boys between 1978 and 1983. And this monster was brought to Earth on November 23rd, 1945. If I'm not mistaken, he is not a Scorpio. We don't claim him. I think he just made it on that cusp of the Sagittarius. I might be wrong. If I am wrong, that's embarrassing, <laughs> but... I think I'm right. So, yes, he was born November 23rd, 1945 in Ferrisburg, Scotland. Ferrisburg itself is known to be a very pretty small fish village in the council area of Embersheenshire. I'm sorry if I butchered that in Scotland. Now, like many of our discussed serial killers, Dennis did not experience the best childhood. He was born to a Norwegian soldier that traveled to Scotland in 1940 named Olav Mangus Milson and his Scottish mother, Betty White. Not Betty White, the actress. We, we know this. Okay, moving on. <laughs> Along with Dennis were also his brother Olaf Nielsen II and Sylvia Nielsen. Not sure if they were older or younger. I didn't find any sources that, s- that specified that for sure, but either way... Right from the beginning, it was clear that Dennis's father, Olaf, had no interest in having a family. He never spent time with any of his kids and often left Betty alone for months and just for her to care for the children. Eventually, by the age of six years old, his father was completely out of the picture. Eventually, Betty remarried to a man named Adam Scott and had four more children, and then sent Dennis to spend time away with his grandfather for a while. Now, Dennis's 62-year-old grandfather, Andrew, was allegedly very strict, ill-tempered, and just single-minded as kind of that type of guy. (laughs) I guess a man's man. I don't know. But despite Andrew's ways, he and Dennis actually got along really well. They instantly grew a really strong bond with another. They go on walks for hours. They often fish together. And his grandfather would tell Dennis about all the tales about sailing and sailing as a young man. It's like one of those 
like I was, when I was a boy, I was going to seas and you know whatever, whatever else. So Dennis was really happy because it's said that he didn't really like his half father, and so having his grandpa was like a real father figure to him. Though that same year that Dennis was sent away to live with Andrew, on Halloween day, 1951, his grandfather had been found dead that morning in his fishing boat. Being that Dennis was six at the time, he did not understand that his grandfather was dead and eventually he was sent back home with his mother. They held an open casket funeral and he saw his grandfather laying there and asked his mom, when was grandpa going to wake up? And like many parents probably would, Dennis's mother had just kind of said, he's taking a long nap or, you know, he's in a better place. So it's one of those, you know, oh, okay, well, I feel like you're putting that image in their kid's head that, you know, you know, grandpa's okay, he's in a better place, he might come back one day, and I think that's the kind of notion that he got in his head. Not saying that um, this losing of another figure of a male in his life had to account for anything he did later on, because what he does later on is terrible. But that, I'm not, I, of course, don't want to match that up with each other, but I do want to say that as a kid, that does suck. Um, and especially when it's like your, your parents want to protect you, but they don't want to hurt you. It's kind of like a double-edged sword in, in a way. So days eventually turned into months and later on after Dennis was caught, he would later claim that this, at this time he was six years old and it was his most vivid memory because one day he had a father and the next day he was gone. And when I say father, he was meaning his grandfather. After his grandfather's death, Dennis grew up and started to develop a terrible habit of collecting pets, especially pigeons. He would keep them for a short period of time and then viciously slaughter them. I think Betty found this kind of as a phase, but not completely sure. He'd go down the same trails alone that he and his grandfather would go down, which I don't think that's terribly... I don't think that's weird at all, quite honestly. I guess that's just everyone agrees in their own ways kind of a thing. Um, I, I have my times too, where I definitely have needed to grieve in my own way. Um, and he will also write about the sea in his journals. All the while, he would still be killing innocent birds though. In grade school, Dennis seemed to have been a pretty average student. He later claimed that he'd become infatuated with the son of a local minister, but it was clear to Dennis that he had no interest in school and it showed in his grades and it kind of slipped. At the age of 15 years old, he dropped out of school to join the army. For Dennis, joining the army was the best decision he had ever made, so this is something he really liked to do. He loved the discipline of the army, he loved what they enforced, he loved the physical hard training, and he felt wanted, well-liked, and just wanted by all his comrades really the main area where dennis worked in the army was catering and it was catering to like the other army units so like cooking prepping food etc etc so this is where he learned the art of butchering i i'm not just talking about cut up some you know raw steak and serve it to soldiers i'm talking about butchering these animals and doing the whole operation from scratch and it's gruesome to even think about but Dennis was fascinated by this job 
crazy. Just to look at this in, Dennis was well-liked and not super bullied for his likings towards guys, which also kind of started opening him up to experimenting. Dennis is starting to find discreet guys all over campus with similar sexual curiosities as his. He even found some um, male sex workers that he had gotten contacts with while serving in the Middle East. But casual hookups just really started to get boring for him and it wouldn't ask, arouse him as much. The guys he would sleep with would just have one night stands with him and then leave. And Dennis wanted more than that. As time had passed on in the army, Dennis began to find different ways to arouse himself and not in healthy ways either. At some point, Dennis found this clay mineral called talc, um, which can be a very harmful thing to your body. It's kind of like a, it's a, yeah, it's like a mineral. Um, But he would use this. He would, really gross, he would strip himself bare covered himself in powder, blew his lips to appear dead, and then masturbate to himself in the mirror. After a decade into serving for the military, Dennis had found a guy that he was really into. This was 18-year-old private he found while stationed on the Shetland Islands in Scotland. This was big for him because when a man had entered his life, he had felt loved again. Although this guy knew Dennis was only stationed temporarily and just wanted to stay friends while hooking up. It's understandable. This outraged Dennis. He did not take it easy at all. Reports say that shortly before Dennis went back home to the base, he set that poor guy's stuff on fire along with some photos and movie footage that had apparently made when they were just goofing around. Eventually, Dennis also got fed up with the army and the politics around it, so he moved back home to Ferrisburg with his mom and siblings, although he wouldn't stay as long as he had intended to. I am not 100% confident on this note, but apparently, after a couple weeks of moving back in with his family, Dennis and his brother Olaf Jr. had got into some ugly argument about how he can't come home to a FAG. And we know what that is. I'm not, I'm not going to say it. And so Dennis left home and never came back. Just decided to leave. So this is when, in December of 1972, Dennis in his 20s had moved to England. So he's not in Scotland. He's in England now. And he decides to take up police training to join the Metropolitan in London, England. The Metropolitan, I think, is like the police force. I don't know for sure. Don't at me. Now, not long after being hired as a officer, Dennis was re-exposed to death. Seeing bodies in morgues, viewing autopsies of these bodies, which eventually just get began to just grow into this wild and gross fetish. Now, none of this death really bothered Dennis. What really ended up being the big deal breaker for him was when a co-worker to him had caught a gay male couple engaging in intercourse off the side of a road near their vehicle. Dennis could not bring himself to arrest the couple at the time, so he told the co-worker no, and the co-worker kind of gave him shit for it a little bit, and so he just decided to quit because of that one altercation. Being that Dennis just decided to quit on the spot like that put him in a really bad and tough situation with money. He saved no money. 
he spent most of his earnings getting drunk at pubs and at clubs and just edging more towards poverty. He ended up selling his general service medal to make do with the flat that he had. After a couple days, he just decided, you know what, I'm just going to sign up for unemployment benefits and see how much I get back. And he didn't get much, but he was offered to work for the English Civil Service, which is Job Center. Uh, I think, again, I, I did a little research on what Job Center was. I think it's honestly helping, if I'm not mistaken, correct me if I'm wrong, helping other people get jobs. I think that's what that is. So his political and social views really kept him from making any friends at this new English civil service job. They also found him odd and abnormal, but he felt happy with the job, so just started refocusing on love. So that brings us to January 1974. One night while out, Dennis meets a young 20-something named David Galichan, and they hit it off. He went home with Dennis. They hook up. Several weeks go by, and they are a couple in love and officially dating, so Dennis has his first official boyfriend. After a month or so goes by, and they decide it's time to move in together. So they do. They move into 195 Malrose Avenue in North London. This is one of the infamous flats that sees a lot of dark shit. So keep that address in mind. Eventually, months turn into years, and the two have even bought a puppy named Bleep. Oh my god, I think that's so cute when I look that up. Um, and I'll say that's right now, Bleep is okay throughout this whole story. I, I just have to say that. But everything was great. Although, David started falling out of love for Dennis. Of course, this wrecked Dennis. But he tried to ignore his feelings about this and fill the void with finding guys at bars again, working extra hours at work, and drinking copious amounts of rum every night, by the way. Unfortunately, for the sake of humanity, around Christmas time in 1978, Dennis had gotten to the deepest point of his lonesome and depression. This is when Dennis decides to commit his first murder. According to Dennis's confession, on December 30th, 1978, Dennis meets this kid at Cricklewood Arms Pub. This was 18-year-old Stephen Holmes, who at the time was an Irish laborer. Dennis sweet-talked Stephen. They went back to Dennis's flat, where they both drank themselves to sleep. Now, sometime in the middle of the night, Dennis wakes up, according to him. He's thinking, I don't want this to end. So Dennis grabs the necktie he had near the bed, grips the kid's neck with the necktie, and squeezes until the kid was fully unconscious, drowned his head into a bucket of water, bathed his now-dead body, and dried it. He wanted to keep his corpse out, but got paranoid someone would find him, so Dennis lifts up the floorboards, throws Stephen's body into the pit underneath the floorboards, where he will remain rotting for the next eight months. The first murder really worried Dennis for a couple of months, but eventually he was ready to get back out there and start searching for his next victim. You know, once you just do one, you just keep doing it, right? No, that's wrong, you don't. The second victim would have been 20-year-old Andrew Ho, but Andrew actually got away. While being strangled by Dennis in his flat, 
He got away and went to police, but decided later not to press any charges for unknown reasons. I definitely think personally that this could have been just because at the time it's it was just strongly shone upon and I don't fully know, but I, I could you could wonder. I feel like you could definitely wonder. So this made Dennis's second victim, 20-year-old Kenneth Okadon. Kenneth was a Canadian student that I think was studying abroad or visiting England. December 3rd, 1979, Kenneth decided to hit up some gay clubs in the area. At one of the pubs, Kenneth happens to meet a man named Dennis. They converse and they get to know each other a little, and Dennis offers Kenneth a tour of London's landmarks. So, of course, how could Kenneth say no to a free ride around town? They leave. After the tour, Dennis convinces Kenneth to come over to his flat for some music and drinking. So, at Dennis's flat, and while Kenneth is distracted with headphones on that Dennis had gave to him, Dennis sneaks up behind Kenneth and strangles him with an electrical cord until he hears Kenneth's neck snap. I am not kidding you. You can't make this stuff up. So then Dennis lays uh, Kenneth down and he lays him beside him on the bed and just decides to go to sleep. Just a forewarning, this next part is very grotesque. So if you wanted to just skip ahead a little bit for this, I don't blame you. So the next morning, Dennis washes the body, dries the body. He takes the Polaroids of the corpse, engages in sex with it, then places his lifeless body into a garbage bag underneath the floorboards next to the others. But even more horrifically, Dennis digs up and replaces Kenneth's body four different times. Four different times. Every time he reduck up the body, he admitted that he would do some really gross things to it that I'm not going to mention on the show, and then leaves his body in an armchair while Dennis ate dinner, drank, watched television, and went to work. It was like it was nothing. His third identified victim was later identified as Martin Duffy. So Martin was kind of a troubled 16-year-old from Maryside, England, At the time of Martin's death, he was a homeless hitchhiker. I am not sure about a ton of his background. I I, I can only imagine again that could have been, I mean, based on maybe just who he was, his parents didn't accept him, who knows. But on May 13th, 1980, Dennis invited the kid over to spend the night at his place. While Martin slept on Dennis's couch, Dennis hops on top of Martin and strangles him unconscious with his bare hands. I don't know if you guys can even picture this. I don't even want to, but imagine how much force it could take to strangle someone unconscious with your hands. Like, that is a lot of pressure and a lot of force that you had to put into something. A human neck is a lot of... It's really tough. So... Oh, just thinking about that is crazy. So, Dennis drags Martin into the kitchen, fills the kitchen sink with water, and drowns him in it. This time, Dennis literally bathes with Martin's corpse. He kisses it, and along with other grotesque things that, again, I'm not going to mention, he talks to the body, he even compliments the corpse, and then continues the same thing with Martin's corpse for days after. Eventually, the body would obviously rot, and when it became too bloated, he placed the body with the others in the floorboards. 
when the smell became too much for him, he would just decide to start spraying the bodies with insecticide to rid of the hundreds of maggots. And on top of that smell, he would top it off with some deodorant spray. I am sorry, but deodorant cannot coat the stink of even a living human. You thought that that would work? I don't care if that's even antiperspirant spray. That that doesn't work on on no no. I'm sorry, sir. It's not it's not going to happen. Like I said, that wasn't going to work. So Dennis brought himself to dissect and dismember the three bodies in his bathtub. He boiled their severed heads in a large cooking pot so that he could boil the skin off for bone. He placed the parts in a suitcase and buried them in the garden that he and his ex-partner had built together. Can't imagine. Although Dennis's next two victims luckily escaped from the clutches of this monster, he also did luck out though. Neither victim reported that Dennis attempted to kill them and he just got away with it. So some of you may be wondering at this point, where in the world are the other tenants at? Aren't there other tenants if he's living in a flat? You know, yes, there are. I don't know how this got beyond the tenants, but honestly, none of the tenants that lived um, in this specific location that he lived at really knew that Dennis was doing anything. They knew that he had guys over, but I think it was one of those things that was more like, he's gay, so I don't know about gay people, you know, leave him alone, let him just do his thing, whatever, whatever. So I, I, again, I don't know, can't say for sure, but I think that was the mentality. And often he would bring these victims, sometimes they would get away. But again, I think people just brush it off as that's a gay thing. I wouldn't understand that. That's their thing, whatever. Um, and he did it in a very low key way. So somehow he just really got away with it for a very long time. Dennis had a small window of time where he actually halted the horrors he inflicted on these young men because his landlord wanted to renovate the building that he was living in. The existing tenants were moved to a separate housing space for some time, but I guess Dennis came to an agreement that he could stay in the attic of the building. Months later, Dennis got his flat back, and the flat he had was on the bottom floor, where he eventually reached his next and fourth victim. This was 27-year-old Billy Sutherland. Billy was living in the area of North London. He didn't make a living from prostitution and had been approached by Dennis. Billy and Dennis conversed a little. Dennis let Billy in to drive back to his place, where after not long, Dennis strangles Billy until he is out of breath. He finishes him off from drowning. He rapes him and dismembers the body. The next victim is 27-year-old Malcolm Barlow. He had grown up an orphan in London with a learning disability. He met Dennis in a more romantic way. This was a sweet and innocent guy that... I'm talking about Malcolm, not talking about Dennis. Fuck Dennis. I'm talking about Malcolm. Um, Dennis... I'm sorry. Oh, my God. <laughs> Malcolm was a very sweet and innocent guy that just really wanted to find love and had also, unfortunately, just fell victim to a person that could not care less about anyone's emotions and was just a monster. And I could even consider him human. By 1981, Dennis had successfully raped, tortured, and dismembered a dozen men and young boys just in that one apartment. 
He would just repeat the process of inviting these boys over and getting them in a vulnerable state and assaulting them and dismembering them and shoves them under his kitchen sink like what in his wardrobe and his under his floorboards and he would just dispose of them months later like you had time to think about this before you did it and he just goes in and just does it and it's just so gruesome to think that even being a tenant even it's crazy to think that they didn't smell anything or didn't have too many thoughts about what's going on some people were curious but I don't think anyone really dove in so it was just kind of like he was just getting away with all of this and it's just so sad too because there are survivors but those survivors were just and I don't blame them in some way just terrified to even come out and come forth with what happened to them and like I said not many people nor police really reported the missing guys even if they figured they might have been missing from the general area because many of them were either queer they were thrown out of their homes they were male escorts or they ran away and the notion kind of was around then in this time that you know they're queer they wanted to go missing or they're a little less human for selling their bodies they're gay they just wouldn't understand things like that which is just so sad because it's just like uh you you just you're so mad because you're like i wish that people did more for these these young boys or you know at least they were shown a path a better path because they were human too and they didn't deserve to lose their lives because some arrogant asshole just decides to come in their life and take that away from them in 1982 eventually dennis did feel that it was time to move out of the flat that he lived in because of the suspicion some neighbors um, I just think that he was starting to coward because he kept making up excuses as for the smell. I guess reading this now, I will say there was one tenant that had claimed later on that he had told them the odor stemmed from structural problems with the building. But come on, you know that is not structural problems. So Dennis moves out of this flat on 195 Melrose Avenue and now moves to a second floor flat at 23 Cranley Gardens in Muswell Hill, which was in the same area of North London. Dennis later claimed that he purposely chose the top floor flat at Musewell Hill. I think it's Muswell and Musewell. I'm going to get that right. To, quote, suppress the murders. I don't think, again, <laughs> this was because he wanted to stop killing. I think it was because he didn't want to get caught. But either way, it didn't matter because... Even living on a top floor apartment didn't stop him from killing. And eventually he found new ways to dispose of the bodies and things just got way worse than they've already gotten. Then you'll just have to wait to find out in our next episode. So that brings us to the end of part one of our Dennis Nielsen case. But you know what? I figured since I am already doing this, and might as well just keep it going. I'm just going to release episode uh, 27 to you guys. Let's say Monday. So if you're listening to this um, at the time it comes out, I think this is coming out Friday. And then you will have this um, episode uh, 27, which is part two of our Dennis Nielsen case on Monday. I have to split it up a little bit so I can't pr- crunch them too too closely. Um But you will get it, and you won't have to wait too long, so stay tuned for that. 
And of course, thank you all for listening. Uh, again, uh, this is new for me. This is actually kind of crazy. And I was kind of nervous doing this. But you know, you guys are very supportive. I thank you all for listening. Continue listening. Um, give us all the love that you can any way you can. And yes, we hope to see you next when the light goes out.